welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie. My guest today is Ian McNeish, author of the recently published The Fern Bobby, Reflections from a Life in Scottish Policing. I think it's fair to say, Ian, that this was a, a highly personal project for you, but it's one that has a lot to say about life in Scotland and the way that modern policing works. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Um... Certainly life in the area that I was brought up, rather than the whole of Scotland, and then latterly into policing in different areas of Scotland. Yes, it's a very personal book. Very, I don't think I missed anything out in terms of emotion. And I, was, and I tried to be very honest. Uh, and just... I, know, and, and I think I would say I didn't leave myself any hiding places once I'd finished the book. It was quite emotional, latterly. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a bit about how the project came to be? Yeah, <laughs> how did it come to be? I need to tell you, it was never on my bucket list that I was ever going to write a book. I, I did, uh, for some years, do do some writing and a, a couple of small articles back and forward. And uh, I had a couple of blogs that I did on various subjects, mountaineering or some activities and some things. I'm moaning and groan about political issues that were in the news that day. But that was all I did. And because I was busy climbing mountains, playing curling, coaching curling, cycling, and doing many other things. Uh, so how did I decide or to write a book? Well, I was actually approached by Tom, and he suggested that perhaps I could write a book on mountaineering. I said I would need to think about it. I'd never thought about writing a book. And if he gave me a month, I'd come back with an answer. And he said to me, well, while you're thinking about it, could you do me a book on your police life first? And that's basically how it started. And I did take a month. I went away for a week, actually, up north. I climbed some hills. I took a lot of photographs. I went to uh, the archive in, in the... In, in, in Dingwall, the newspaper archive and the papers in Dingwall, and slowly planned and thought through what I was going to write about and what kind of forum the book would take. I decided it would not be a series of Friday night stories, uh, frolics on a Friday night, because I think that might turn, have turned out to be more like a comic than a book. And I thought it needed, needed to have some form of gravitas in it, to go through some of the issues that people might wonder why we did them, why we think about doing them, how the police might react. And, you know, firearms, is it okay for a police officer to have discretion? What did it mean by making decisions in the public interest and whose interest were we really making them in? But I thought it was important to start with a story that was quite emotive at the time for me and I never forgot the issue. And a young man died in my arms because I felt that at that point I could then go back over who I was or who I am. And, 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 and was I the right person to be there for that young laddie on that day? And in fact, was I the right person to have carried a warrant card for 30 years? And that's the form the book took in my thinking and my planning. Yeah, and that's how I got into it, because Tom asked me. <laughs> well, one of the things, Ian, that jumped out at me as a result of reading the book was the the way that you explore the various different ways that life in Scotland has changed 
cultural attitudes in a sense have changed uh, and also that modern policing has adapted in order to, to meet those changing needs. Uh, would you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Um, I have an issue about the way the police have been changing in the last three or four years because it's quite obvious if you read the book and I'm not going to get into the politics necessarily of it here, but I'd never believed in a single police service. Uh, I thought that would bring us far too near the political scene, as it were, and we would be far too easy controlled, because I believe policing should not be controlled by politicians in any way. That's my view anyway, and some people probably differ. Um, politicians will make laws, and that's what they do, they need to leave us, the police, I'm not in the police now, but they need to leave the police service and trust them to deliver the, the laws without fear or favour. And I feel that the more political influence comes to bear, I'm not sure that it's quite as obvious now as it was before. Yeah, so, and I try to talk about my early childhood and some of the influences being brought up after the war and how things slowly change over the years and people forget the war and start coming up with other things that are important and I'm not I'm not saying anything wrong with that but that's just how it is and the police have got to try and catch that being communities listening watching how it operates and serving within that context and I think it's important for the police service and the community that it serves that it, the police are actually in these each of these communities listening and delivering local services based on what the local issues are. And I don't necessarily think that that's going to be achieved quite so well when you centralise it all. So you started um, as, a, as a constable in the mid-1970s. What would you say have been the changing challenges of policing? I mean, to what extent would you say challenges have stayed the same and to what extent would you say things have have altered or in some ways become more challenging for the modern policeman? The really modern policeman, uh, I mean, it's difficult. That's a, it's an interesting one question, really, because it, some of the times you don't really notice the changes because you're living them. And they're maybe less obvious to you because you're just developing as the system develops, as things develop and laws come in, new laws different laws, old laws are kind of laid aside, different demands come on us from politicians and from communities and from wherever they come from and slowly uh, things evolve, it's just how things happen. With a single force however, it, it, it almost it, it was like an explosion of change and one of the things that I've noticed and I, and I don't think it's a good thing personally, is officers in my day if I put it that way, in general, we were trained, we got our warrant card and we were allowed to go out into communities and we were trusted to actually do the job without too much interference. If somebody did get it wrong, obviously there was a system in place to pull that person back into line, if that's the term we want to use. But nowadays they have in excess of 700 standard operating procedures where Officers now, you look at a computer and it tells you what to do and I'm not convinced that that's necessary. So that's one big change. I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but that is a big cultural change and officers nowadays 
would never recognise the type of policing that I carried out years ago with the ability to think for myself in a sense. I, I mustn't be too critical because there'll be officers right now will be thinking for themselves and will be very good at it. I'm not, not The officers are good at what they do. But it's a, it, there's a bit more pressure on them now from the centre all the time, which I didn't find. When you were working as a single station officer in, in, in the Highlands, as I did, I never saw anybody. So decisions I made, I just had to make them because they were what I was trained to understand, to do. I listened to my, my community and I tried to find a solution that kind of suited us all at that, in, in that way. And it was a kind of common sense about it, you, you know. And if I was going to actually go about charging everybody with every single offence I ever found, I would never get any work done. So, yes, things do change. And that's just some ways that they change. Now, part of the narrative of your book uh, really follows your career um, from a, a, a policeman who was very much in a rural area um, all the way through to um, increasing responsibilities and seniority as you moved into more of an urban setting. Uh, do you feel, in, particularly towards the, the latter stages of your career, that there has been a, a shift in cultural attitudes towards policing? I think one of the things that's important for police officers to understand is the vast majority of people never come across a police officer. And so they have a vision of them or a view of them or a thought process of them, which is, in many cases, really not from learning firsthand, but just what they think the police should be about or what they think they're about. And it's huge. And I believed, and, and, and I, and there's more, I didn't just believe it, I think. I think the police service were actually are well thought of in most communities in Scotland. And there's obviously exceptions to that. Uh, but in general terms, I think the police service are well thought of. Um, but as things have changed, and in, 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 I don't know whether the media have changed it and whether the Facebook life has changed it and everybody being, being availing themselves almost of instant information and short snippets of video that watch a police officer in a crowd and maybe no acting as perhaps as well as they should. I, I, I don't really know, but, but suddenly everybody becomes an instant expert on everybody else and the police are no exception. They're not covered, but they're not uh, protected. They are likely to be... And that can influence people. You know, that, that people have never come across the police will suddenly see a video and you think, oh, geez, that's not very good to do with it, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So, so life is changing, and it's not just the police that suffer from that. And, yeah, I don't know. I've not, not got an answer to it. I'm just who I am. But, the, 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 yes, there are there are cultural changes over the time is passing, and there's one or two cultural changes, you know, between the urban and the rural, but... They're not that different, you know, in terms of the urban and rural. You can deal with them, just communities and people, and you get on with them. But there's other issues come in in more recent times which make it more difficult, I think. I think it's fair to say that your book is a, a very heartfelt account of the, the duties and the responsibilities that are involved uh, in being a police officer. Were there any particular incidents that you found difficult to recall, um, perhaps emotionally, um, in terms of looking back on the way that things unfolded? Uh, 
Well, yeah, the, the answer is a simple yes. If you do 30 years of frontline policing, I think one of the things that perhaps is not as well understood, this may be, why would it be, in, you know, unless you're in the job, you deal with a lot of death, and that's a fact. Uh, every death is a big issue. Uh, some of them get to you more than others, however. And, and it's difficult to explain which one would get to you. Well, I don't think you can explain it. Sometimes circumstances pile up on top of you and something that maybe, I don't know, other people wouldn't have found, wouldn't find too emotionally draining, as it were. Well, you do find emotionally draining. And yeah, there, are, there have been one or two instances which I have never, ever, and never, ever will forget. And even to this day, have some difficulty even speaking about them. Uh, but I mentioned one or two in the book, I've got to confess. But I mentioned them against the backcloth of understanding the role of the police officer and understanding not just his role or her role, the role of well, the, the bravery, in, in, a, in a sense, that they show. Because no matter what they have gone through the day before, and it could have drained them, they will go into their work the next day and face something, and they don't know what it's going to be the next day, which could be just as horrifying. But they keep doing it. And it's the nature of the beast. It's what you do. It's your job. It's your. It's more than a job, really. <laughs> it's not just a job. Uh, and 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 you will do it. And 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 you'll at the end of it, you'll have a smile, a laugh, or or, or you might cry in a corner, but you'll still get up the next day and go on with the next. And I think that that's a level of bravery that is not understood necessarily by lots and lots of people. That doesn't mean to say the people are wrong or that they should understand it. It's not their fault, but it just it's a fact. That's what it's like. And yes, simply, yeah, there have been one or two instances which I would always find difficult to recount again. Now, you certainly don't shy away from any of the, the difficult situations that you faced uh, in your years as a police officer, but there must have been lighter moments as well. Any that sort of stand out in your mind? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure there are. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of silly wee ones that, 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 that just make you laugh. Well, they didn't all involve me, actually. So, one of my colleagues in the north, many years ago, when we were up in, when I was in Hellefern, the nearest biggest biggest station near near Hellefern is Tain, and one of them, my Tain colleagues, had been sent out one day by the inspector in Tain because some. A local people in a local neighbourhood had been complaining about the noise of young children on a sledge, sledging down a hill. I don't exactly know what they were doing wrong, but it annoyed the, the, the neighbourhood anyway. So the officer was sent out to deal with the situation, and about 41 minutes later or so, the inspector asked where the officer was, and somebody says, well, I don't know, you sent him out to deal with a sledging issue. All right, I better go and have a look and see what he's doing, said the inspector. And he walked out, it wasn't that far to go, and he came round the corner and there was said officer on the sledge and the young kids rolling about and laughing and everybody was having a great time. Yeah, that was communities and that was funny and that was real. I um, I can tell another one which involves, I don't know if I'm allowed to use a sweaty word, but years ago we were coming out of a particular establishment 
myself and one of my colleagues. It was about one in the morning and we were just, em- you know, we weren't emptying it, but it, it was emptying a particular club in a place I worked. And it was well known, the place. It's a kind of roughish, nice place, nice people mining. But, and there was a couple, uh, there were a couple, uh, uh, they came out. He was a bit worse to wear a drink. Nice, nice people. And uh, so they were having a conversation with us, but he decided that he couldn't stand up any longer. So he went away, opened the door of his wife, of the car, of the family car, and he sat in the passenger seat. His wife continued to talk to us for another two or three minutes. Then she looked across, and that was the first time she'd noticed that her husband was now sitting half asleep in the passenger seat. Unfortunately, in his drunken stupor, he'd not noticed something hugely important to his wife. And all that happened at that point was, and that's when we knew as well, she screamed at the top of her voice, Nori, you've sat in the fucking Volivant. <laughs> Uh, that was a funny. We, we, that was funny. Just a silly thing. It doesn't really mean anything. Or, or two of my colleagues from the north once uh, had crashed their car one night into a river. It was in winter. The river. The car was actually. Well, the, the headlights were below the, the level of the water, and it was an icy, snowy night. Slipped off the road nice, pitch black. Both got out of the car. Were, well, one got out of the car. Got to the shore. Couldn't see his calling anywhere because it was pitch black. Shouted, couldn't hear a word, roar and noise and wind and stuff. And eventually um, shouted again. And the voice from the darkness shouted, I'm over here, Willie. And Willie shouts back to him, What are you doing over there, Donald? And Donald says, I think I'm doing the breaststroke. <laughs> and, and he was fine and he got out of the water and... And it was just this, it was that sense of humour. He, he could have been drowning. It was just, it was a dangerous situation. I just like that kind of stuff. I think another one that's quite funny, but it's less, less in a different style. We'd had a call that there was a person with a firearm in a house in a, a place that I worked. Uh, the CID turned up with two firearms officers, tooled up with pistols. And so we got up to the house and I was always fascinated, and I'm still fascinated to this day by the technique we used. The two officers stood out on the footpath behind a privet hedge. I'm not actually sure what protection that was ever going to avail them. However, they stood behind the privet hedge with their guns, and the two uniformed, unarmed uniformed officers, myself being one of them, had to go to the door of the house, knock on it until the chap appeared. And I remember thinking to myself, if this guy appears with a gun and they start shooting, my epitaph will say, shot by the baddies and the goodies. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I used to laugh about that, and my colleague and I did for years after it. Aye, that, that, there, are, there are more issues, but I just thought that. They were just a wee snippet of things that I thought, yes, it was always, there was always a laugh. You laughed at lots of things sometimes. You laughed at people's misfortune, but that's just human nature. But a lot of it wasn't a laughing at all. But you had to laugh. There was no choice some nights because the situation you dealt with was so tragic that sometimes the only release was was, was some the humour that you might I don't know how you would what you refer to that kind of humour. But yeah, we laughed occasionally, and a lot in fact. Yeah, and it's interesting that you you mention you know the the release of emotion because one thing I, I was going to ask you was, do you feel now? retrospectively looking back on the, the process of writing the book, um, whether it was a, a cathartic experience? 
<laughs> yes, it was. In the beginning, it wasn't. Because in the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. I was searching for notes, trying to, for, for history, for my, through my memory as well. I had more notes, scribbled. I used to go to a, a particular cafe in, in, in Stirling here and I would buy one coffee and sit for two and a half hours. I suppose that would be GK Rowling type stuff. And I would sit and scribble and scribble and scribble and rip up and scribble. And then I would bring the stuff back here. Then I would try to type it and I would totally change it as I typed it. Then I'd go back over it. But I, I, I found it really difficult at first because how do you put... I was asked to do 50,000 words and then Tom upped it to 70,000 words. And I think in the end I gave him about 140,000 words. And one of the things that made me laugh during the writing of the book was I'd reached about 60,000 words and I suddenly realised in terms of the time scale of my service, I wasn't even halfway through my service. And I thought, how am I going to get the next 20, 15 years into, into 10,000 words? Obviously I didn't. Um, yeah, it was, it was cathartic. It became more so as I became more comfortable with the process, uh, perhaps. One of the early things my wife used to ask me, what... what you know, what drove you on at the beginning when you struggled? And I says, it's a very simple, old-fashioned, maybe it's not just Scottish, but certainly a Scottish thing I was brought up with. I'd promised Tom I would do this, and actually I, it, that's what drove me on. I didn't want to let him down. Um, then it became more meaningful as I started to pour things out of me, and I started to remember stuff, and I talked about my mum's death and my dad's death, and to try and explain who I am. Yes, it was cathartic, and having written it, it all, I felt almost drained, uh, because it was it, the book is very honest. It, 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 it's really just me pouring out, and and I found that after it was finished, quite yeah, I felt I felt quite drained. Yeah, for a while after it, it's taken me a while to kind of get back going again because I've got other stuff to do. Yeah, so that's that's your answer to that one. Now your your book takes you from a, a new recruit in the early 70s, all the way through to eventually becoming a, a chief inspector at the turn of the century. Looking back now, what advice do you think you would want to give your younger self in hindsight, given all the things that you've seen throughout your career? Hmm. Now, there's always a tricky question. Um, gosh. I, I, I suppose... Probably the same advice that I got early on from the Chief Constable of Roth and Sutherland Police, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I mean, he said two or three things that, that I've never forgotten. He told me to make haste slowly, and, and I think that, that's reasonable on one level. But what he told me was something else. He once told me that this is all about the community. It's all about people policing. You don't make rubber tyres, you don't make mechanical things, you deal with people and therefore it's all about people. Everything you do is about that community that you're serving and I would say yeah I could be critical of certain things but in general terms if the way I learned it and the way I believed in it and the way I would never change this view make it about your community listen to them. When I took over in 
one particular area as, as, as a local unit commander, the actual Boston area, I remember sitting down my first day or my second day, was a, to be perfectly correct about it, and I wrote down strategically how am I going to approach this, and I thought one of the things I need to do is I need to make the police service in this town important to the people in the town, as important as their local football team. Now, that was going to be impossible, right? <laughs> they had a very, very successful local junior football team who got to Scottish Cup finals and stuff. But that, that wasn't the point. The point was I had to aim for something and I wanted us to be as, perhaps as popular as the wrong word, but as important to that community as that football team were. And that's, my aims were all about that. It wasn't to be about being popular. That, that's a mis... You don't need to be popular. You just need to be firm and fair. And people need to understand what you are. You're a police officer. If they want to buy butcher meat, they'll go to the butcher shop. If they want policed, then they'll come to us. And we police them. We police them fairly. We listen to them. And then they know where they are. And, and that's where the respect... And so I would tell... I would tell them more than that. But that, but that, that's a kind of summary that I would want them to understand that they are important to their community. Stop your vehicle and go and listen to people. And when I see two police officers even today walking down the street in the, where I live, side by side, talking to each other, that annoys me because I used to say to my own troops all these years ago, I don't pay you to talk to each other. Talk to the people you're out among. That's who wants to hear you speaking. So yeah, that's the kind of stuff, and that, that there's a lot more than that. But yeah, that that encapsulates. It's about communities. Believe that, and actually serve that community. Well, Ian, thanks very much for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts about the book. And thank you, Tom, for inviting me. I, I no, I didn't find that easy, but uh, I hope I hope it fits the bill, and I hope that people understand a bit more about me, a bit more about a bit more about the book. And thank you all. Take care. The Fern Bobby is available to buy from all good online retailers and independent bookshops. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you'll join us again soon. Mm -hmm.